Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell. I'm Liz Menachow. This week we have writer, actor, and director Jay Lee on the show to talk about his first feature film, Atypical Wednesday, which is out now on VOD. I just want to continue to just make art and hopefully make this place better than when I got in here. You'll probably recognize Jay most from the hit show, The Orville, from Seth MacFarlane, where Jay plays Lieutenant Commander John Lamar, as well as he's also been multiple voices on Family Guy and American Dad, and he's got his own web series called Two Black Dudes and a bunch of other stuff. But our conversation with Jay was just totally awesome. Yeah, no, he's like a a true Renaissance man. And um, one of the most positive, one of the most confident human beings I've ever interacted with. Like more positive than I am, which was like crazy. (laughs) Like I felt like I was the pessimist in the room talking to Jay, which is like nuts because I'm so always so bright and cheery. Anyways, before we get to the conversation with Jay. Listen to me. Television is not the truth. We'll tell you anything you want to hear. We lie like hell. This week on Network, we're talking about this article from CNN about Splash Mountain being updated by Disney at um, their theme park. Um, So finally, after years and years of this Song of the South being the theme for Splash Mountain, it's finally being replaced by Princess and the Frog, which, you know, is like something that you figure would have happened a long time ago, but it's good that it finally happened now. Um, But I didn't even really like, I don't really go to Disneyland very often, you know, so I was like, I went once in 2004 and I did ride Splash Mountain and I did feel like it was dated back then. So gosh, like, you know, if you went to it in like the last year, I can't imagine what people were thinking. Well, it's about time that Princess and the Frog got a little love. I have to say it's like, no one ever talks about it. It, I don't know how well it did commercially, but I know that like no one ever listed it in its top Disney films. But I think it will transition well to the, the physical structure of the ride because there's this, as they show in the image in the article, there's like a sequence when they're in the bayou with a giant alligator, crocodile. Which one is it? I never know which one it is. <laughs> um, with a uh, lizard, giant lizard. Crocodile probably, right? Yeah. I don't know. Um, and so the idea of them traveling downstream and being in the water and adventure and excitement and Tiana being such a great figure for women and her being like very enterprising, like that sounds, it's a very smart move, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if there was there like a big backlash for this or is this like everyone agrees that this is the thing to do? Oh, like, I don't I know mean- anything about this. <laughs> like it's time to switch out the uh allusion to a movie that like has been a blemish on disney's history <laughs> right for, right like, right decades um i don't know if people are embracing princess and the frog again like i only know one person who really loves this movie other than me now because i just rewatched it uh and it's my sister-in-law even though i'm not married um so i would say <laughs> maybe it'll get people to watch the movie it's it's like a really good film people should see it this is actually one of the few Disney movies I haven't seen. Like I haven't seen this one and I haven't seen like Emperor's New Groove and a bunch of movies of their movies in that time, you know, when they, those movies came out. So yeah, like I'm right excited to us. see it. It was like a few years after when our like formative Disney years. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to see it. You know, is it, 
hand-drawn animation yeah. i think it is yeah. yeah so definitely need to watch it just for that reason alone because you know that's going out of style um but uh yeah i think this is a good thing really excited but i guess i'm kind of curious about the history of this was this like a petition that was trying to be like changed for years and years and people were like pushing back kind of like the whole um washington redskins thing and the whole you know indian cleveland indians thing or is this a thing that like was just decided you know, in this climate, like, I'm just kind of curious. I don't really know, but, uh, and I don't think the article says either Mm -mm. about that. So I don't know. I'm curious, but I think either way, whether this is long time coming or just a decision they made now, I think it's good stuff. I do have to say the only note I have is that there's New Orleans square is in Disneyland. And then this is how much I know Disneyland. I've seen, I've been there. I used to have a season pass Ah. and then the area where splash mountain is, which I think is right next to critter country. If I'm getting this accurately is like quite a distance away. So geographically it doesn't make a lot of sense because princess (laughs) of the frog was set in New Orleans. But I think that through Disney magic, they'll be able to convince us that this is the same geography. Yeah. No, I think it'll work. So Liz, guess what? You've got mail. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. So this week we have a new iTunes review and from June uh, 8, 2020, which based on our other iTunes reviews we've been reading, feels like it happened just now. It's so new. So I'll, uh, I'll read this one. Uh, longtime fan, first time reviewer by CMARS8. Five stars. I've been listening to this podcast since the beginning. I've listened to the rise of Ulrich, the loss of Timothy, and the addition of Liz. They've been amazing tools for any filmmaker at any level with their advice, honesty, and passion for making movies. Keep it up and share all you can because it's helped me and I imagine others feel less lonely in this industry that they can easily make you feel isolated. Making (laughs) movies is hard. This is a trend I've noticed. If anyone mentions me, it's always like in a very unemotional way. But I'm okay with it because I'm I'm okay with being neutral. But it's always like this very dramatic, like Ulrich has been through this struggle and we lost Timothy and it was this real devastation. And then, oh, Liz came along and, and that's where we are now. So I'm going to start saying controversial things so I can really upset our viewers. Well, just wait until you've been on the show for a full year, like as a full timer. I think your year anniversary is coming up pretty soon, which is very exciting. Um, But I think time, time will make the, you know, the words they use to describe your arrival to the show more flourishing and more, you know, colorful. Yeah, yeah, because it is very dramatic. The rise of Ulrich and the loss of Timothy. And then Liz came. (laughs) I also think that maybe I should stop referring to people who listen to us as viewers and that might impact um, the way people uh, refer to us. I think if you want to be like, uh, you know, CMARS8 here, whose name I do not know, you can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com, which I'm realizing CMARS8 didn't do, but he did do this other thing, like leaving us a review on iTunes. Or she, excuse me. She, let's just say she, that's a better way. So yeah, default to she. Default to she. I, I got to get better at that. Um, you can uh, be like uh, CMARS8, like she did, and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the places you leave reviews or comments for podcasts. We also have a Patreon page. So if you really love the show, you want to support us, go to uh, patreon.com slash podcast, and you can give us a dollar, $5, or $9 to get one of our pins who, so far, we've only had one person buy one. And, it and was they were the, the person... designer. Yes, exactly. 
which is ridiculous. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, people don't like pins. I get it. That's fine. Uh, you know, I, I have a bunch of pins on my desk from different uh, things I've supported. So, you know, but maybe I'm one of the few. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. All right, so I know we've been doing this segment called Soap Dish for the past few weeks, but I've run out of distribution tips. And so what we're doing is we're introducing another segment called Get Shorty based off of a very fond film of Oryx and mine. We love Get Shorty. We thought we're just going to build a segment around Get Shorty because we love this film so much. So we're celebrating short filmmakers and why they decided to make shorts and what they're doing with them and spreading the word and amplifying their message. So uh, this week we have Felicia Pride, who is a hero amongst many, and she's here to talk to us about her short film, Tender. I made a short because I learned pretty quickly on in my Hollywood journey that film was a director's medium. And I realized that I, as a writer, had certain projects that I really had to be a part of the vision from start to from start to finish, um, particularly one project that I've been working on that's inspired by my mother, my sister, my niece. I was like, uh, no one else can direct this. Like, I, I have to do that. So I started to take a bunch of classes and, and really immerse myself in directing because for a long time, I just felt like it was something I couldn't do. Um, I couldn't see like a director. I had all these stories in my head that I told myself about directing. So once I felt fairly comfortable after the classes and workshopping and working with actors, I, I decided that it was time to actually try it. Um, and so that's what made me make a short versus you know some other medium was that I really wanted to get my feet wet in directing and then I did it though you know Tender my short film is still pretty contained two actors one location one day so I didn't want to do too much the first time around but I still wanted to tell a story that reflected my aesthetic and my perspective. I came up with the funds for Tender through crowdfunding. I launched a crowdfunding campaign that actually was a hybrid campaign so it was part GoFundMe. I had a GoFundMe page for people who you know wanted to support uh, the work and then I also did these virtual chats for people who wanted to get something for their money. Um, I didn't have time to do a Kickstarter. I didn't want to really deal with perks and all of that. So I did these virtual chats. I did hosted three chats. They were $25 each. And they were on a range of subjects from pitching for film and TV, becoming a professional TV film writer, uh, writing process. And so that was part of the fundraising strategy, all the proceeds went to tender. And then I also had a fiscal sponsorship through Film Independent for high net individuals that I did more high touch communication with and trying to, um, you know, garner their support. Before making the short, what did I think would happen to my career? I actually didn't think anything. I tend to not attach to outcomes in this business because you get disappointed or you shortchange yourself. So my big thing with, with making the short was I wanted to get my feet wet at directing. Yes, I, I looked at it as possibly a calling card for my for me as a director, but that was my intention was that I wanted to get my feet wet in directing, um, telling a story I love. And that typically is my intention of like, you know, having fun telling a story I love with, with this business and detaching from outcomes. What did end up happening, uh, we actually released Tender online through the quarantine um, because I just felt like the, 
it was just the film festivals were, you know, going through their own transitions. Um, and the reception to the film has been amazing. I am overwhelmed by how many people see themselves in this film and how many people are supporting this film and, and give, sending me comments. And it's just been lovely to the point that um, we've decided to turn it into a feature. It, I went into the project thinking it was going to be standalone, but because of the reception, we're actually going to turn it into a feature, which is hella exciting and hella scary at the same time. Now that Tender is out in the world, for me, it serves as a purpose to um, tell a story that I feel like we don't see enough. That's a story of um, black women's sexuality. That's a story of black queer women. That's a story of black women and their desires that are sexual, that are emotional, that are physical, that are professional, uh, about emotional intimacy between black women. Um, so it's it's for me being able to showcase and and have on screen um, that type of representation. Um, it's also served more practically as uh, a, a beginning of my directing career, though so that's what Tender has served. That was an awesome movie, and I'm really glad that uh, Felicia took the time to talk about it on the show with us. It's really awesome. Um, but uh, what did you think, Liz? What did you think of Tender? Well, I love kind of those slice of life movies, whether they're short form or long form, and I hadn't ever seen a short film. I mean, I've seen Pariah, you know, I've seen other queer black content, but I haven't seen a short film that featured queer black women. So I was just excited to see that representation on screen. So I was like, kudos for that. Um, I happen to really like Felicia Pride. So I'm very biased and I just watched it feeling very proud to know her and proud of her accomplishments because I know she's really um, reinforcing her voice as a creator right now and then uh, I thought it was shot so beautifully there is just some moments where the background just seemed to glow that um, really brought out a lot of the tender themes in the film so I was pretty impressed what did what were your thoughts well, I also thought the cinematography was excellent and the lighting was great, you know, with the backgrounds and just with the way they lit the characters, I thought was really, really well done. Um, but I, I kind of like this thing where, you know, you're in a situation that we've kind of all been in at one time or another this morning after, like, you know, what could have been a one night stand or something that you, you, you're not really were sure you want to do with another person, you know, um, and then like where it goes from there. And I thought that you know, that kind of universal sort of, you know, kind of situation then layered in with like these very specific story beats, like this thing that she's recovering from and going through the one character. And then this very new relationship that happens to be a queer relationship and that sort of side of things, I just added all these layers to the story, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and then I thought the acting was really fun. And, um, you know, you had two characters who were very different and just seeing how they react in this situation I thought was really really interesting and, and engaging. What's also cool is that Felicia made the film widely available for anyone to see and if you just go to tendermovie.com you could check it out. I just love the idea that she's using the film to uh, build her own audience um, so I would say check it out and then if you want us to feature your short film we may do it. We, Alric, what do you think we might we might do it if people yeah, email us. If they email us to the same email podcast at makingmoviesishard.com with your short film um, that is, you know, really we want short films that are out in the world that people can see. Because I think like the the big reason for Get Shorty existing is to support 
um, and showcase short films that have, you know, most likely aren't really getting that many views, you know, like, you know, once a short film goes to short film festivals and then you're probably not going to get um, to short of the week, you're probably not going to get a Vimeo staff pick. Like those things are not, you know, not everyone gets those. So I wanted to showcase films that, um, you know, don't necessarily get a lot of love online and that really need to be seen. And so if you are one of those short filmmakers who have a film that doesn't have, you know, 100,000 views or doesn't even have 5,000 views, uh, send it to us and we'll we'll get it on the show, you know? And um, yeah, so I'm just excited to, you know, showcase some short films and watch some great short films. And also we created the segment to celebrate the great movie that is Get Shorty. Yes, of course. Um, and have you seen the show too, Liz? Or are you only a movie person? I, I wouldn't get my, I couldn't watch it. I I used to have a Get Shorty poster on my wall as a, like a middle schooler. Like a very, I had like the book by Elmer Leonard in my bookcase. Like I wasn't ready to see another iteration. Was it, was the show good? Yes. the I only saw the first season because it was the only one that was available on Netflix. But um, yeah, it's very good. Um, and it's very different, but also very similar in the same way too. And you have to let go of what the movie is to enjoy the short, the, the, the yeah. series, because it's very different. But uh, I think they work together in different ways. And it's like a completely tonal shift in the series. It's so much darker and so much more serious, but also funny at the same time. Whereas Get Shorty is like your kind of classic Hollywood, you know, action comedy, which is like, wonderful too oh my god i'm not ready to let go but i'm sure one day i will all right liz the player what about truth what about the reality what about the way the old ending tested in canoga park so the past few weeks we've been interviewing uh female storytellers and asking them why did they get into independent storytelling in the first place so we have two new sound bites for you to enjoy Felicity Tillack, and I'm a scriptwriter, director, and editor. So when it comes to storytelling, I feel like I've always been drawn to and doing storytelling um, from a very young age. I've always enjoyed writing and, and play, acting, and blogging, and poetry. So there's no real moment for that. But when it comes to film, I can remember the moment that I kind of dove into it pretty clearly because I had just met somebody who was going to become one of my best friends and I had brought her a bicycle pump and we just started chatting about things that we enjoyed doing, which namely were like traveling and, you know, exploring Japan. And, you know, at that time I was writing a blog about Japan and festivals and, and cultural things. And she had a background in film and she'd been on a music video set, I think. Um, and so, yeah, we were just chatting and we came across this idea, why don't we make a video series and we'll tie it to the blog and but we'll go on adventures and we'll make films and, you know, learn how to edit and learn how to put it together and make it interesting for, for people. So that was kind of the beginning of what has blossomed into, I suppose, for me, um, you know, a much wide, a much, you know, more fully encompassing kind of part-time career because I'm, I'm, it's not my, my full-time hustle, but it's definitely something that takes up my weekends. And um, yeah, so from that conversation, 
kind of almost at random. Um, yeah, I've gone on to direct a feature film and and edit another feature film after that, and hopefully more things from here. Hey, my name is Erica Longo, and I'm an actress and a writer. I honestly don't know if I can trace it back to a specific moment when I knew I wanted to act, but I have always been fascinated by live theater and watching the people out there on the big screen. Something just ignited inside me when I would watch a play or see a movie. I know it sounds so cliche, but it made me feel alive. And I absolutely love stepping into an imaginary circumstance and just riding the wave of that experience emotionally. I also feel like acting allows me to access all of my emotions that I might not otherwise get to release or play with. And I love the deep connection that you can experience when you're working with other actors. I mean, to me, it's one of the most thrilling things ever. I've really actually very much enjoyed hearing why people want to get into this industry. I like hearing the origin stories, right? But now I feel like we need to get even more um, in depth. And so I want to ask next week, what are times people felt like an imposter on set? So uh, hopefully we'll get some really juicy answers uh, for next week's segment. Yeah. And is this something that you want to do ongoing, Liz, or you just want to do this for one week? Let's do it for one week. Let's see who comes out of uh, comes out of the outreach. And if we get too many sound bites for one week, we'll we'll let it go, I think. And if you're hearing this and you have a really great story about being an imposter on set, email us and uh, maybe we'll include you. Maybe not. But you'll have, you'll have to email us to find out. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, without further delay, here is our conversation with Jay Lee. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks so much for being here, man. Really appreciate it. Um, so we start the, the interview with a rapid fire, series of rapid fire questions. Um, so I'm going to go first. Okay. It is all about atypical Wednesdays. How many days did you shoot the film? 12 days and one day of uh, like pickup shoots. Well done. Uh, what was your budget if you're allowed to talk about it? Not allowed to talk about it, <laughs> but we made magic. Can you give us a range, range of any kind? <laughs> I, ca I, I cashed in a lot of favors. It is hard to make a feature film in 12 days without great people and some favors cashed. Absolutely. Uh, my feature was made in 12 days. I completely understand what you're talking about and we can, we can let it lie if you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how long did you work on the film from the inception to it being released? I wrote the first draft, which uh, used to be called Wednesdays, I think in 2013. So, you know, you're looking at seven years was the very first draft of this uh, the film. How big was your crew? Uh, you would have thought we had a lot, a lot of money. I got to set the first day and I saw a base camp and I saw a crew and I saw a breakfast line. And I remember thinking, who the hell are all these people? How are they getting paid? was happening um but we had a legit quite impressed i got to give my producer stephen love and joaquin Delion a lot of props for that because you know you would have thought i had some some real 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 money seeing all the people that helped me put this movie together ballpark like 30 40 in that range probably about yeah about a good 30 yeah, between 30 and 40 people i say that's a good that's a good guess including well just crew right not cast right yeah not, not cast yeah okay wow yeah and then out of all your projects, how difficult was this one? 
to do to in in what in what regard to make to write to get to the screen everything i don't know i don't know what's difficult or what's not i just kind of keep my head down and do the work and then next thing you know i get to talk to you lovely people about the fact that it's done so i don't know if i focus on how hard something is then i'll exhaust myself from the beginning but if i just put one foot in front of the other then it's just fun so it wasn't difficult it was fun I taught, yeah, it was a lot of fun, actually. I had a blast. I spent a lot of my own money on it. I, I mean, I, I worked very hard, and I had a blast making this movie. So the first question I had on my list here was just kind of taking it back a little bit before a typical Wednesdays, which, but, but actually from what you said of how long you worked on it, it's not that far back. But I just wanted to hear about, you know, you starting out as a production assistant, you know, and then working on Family Guy, and then how that led to you becoming like, you know, an actor and now directing your own movie. Like just talk to us about that journey of going from, you know, just starting as a PA to like, you know, hitting the big leagues basically. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that happened along that journey was I started writing. Um, I really started writing at the front desk of family. Guy. Um, I had, you know, a computer, I had a lot of downtime and Everybody else that worked there wanted to be TV writers. So all the PAs, their path was, you know, PA and work your way up to get in the writer's room. At the time, I was just writing features. Um, so I just, I just kept writing. Eventually started writing some TV spec stuff and just to keep myself busy because I'm just somebody who likes to stay, you know, active. And I mean, kind of long story short, Seth and I became good friends um, just from working there. So we just became pals along with a lot of the other writers that worked there and then after I left I was sort of doing random gigs here and there just trying to stay afloat but I knew it was time for me to leave and move on from being at the front desk but again the whole time I just kept writing I kept writing and I remember a lot of people were always asking me you know um you know how, how are you going to make money and I was like I'm, I'm literally creating it I'm, I'm creating money I was like I got so much money on this computer you know, and I didn't, I didn't have, you know, things to show because I know it takes a long time, but I, I would open up my computer and I'd say, man, I got, there's, there's stuff here, you know. So, I mean, I worked on quite a few things, wrote quite a few things. And then by the time I got to a typical Wednesday, um, I had already, I had already written this other movie that was supposed to go, ultimately didn't go out of frustration I remember writing, I wrote this movie in a week because the inspiration hit me one day and I was so mad at this other thing. I was like, man, fuck it, I'm gonna just write this and I bang it out and next thing I know, that thing was moving. But all of my projects informed the next. And it's, it's, it's so specific that it sounds crazy, but it also sounds like, oh, of course, that would happen. Of course, Family Guy would lead to writing a script about Medusa that gets on the blacklist, which leads to you writing this dance comedy, which leads to you writing this black Western, which leads to you making, uh, you writing the thing on spec and selling it and then not making it. And of course that leads to two black dudes, your own TV show that you make a short, short episodes. And of course that leads to the Orville. And of course that leads to you making this movie. And then of course it leads to season two of Orville. And of course that leads to Wednesday. You know, it like everything led to the next thing. So 
to answer that question, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I just, kinda, <laughs> I just kept doing stuff. And then next thing I know, I just had experience and product to make. Well, what drew you to the Family Guy job to begin with if you were interested in features in that indie feature game? Had to eat. I was broke. I needed a gig. <laughs> I just, I'd only been in LA for maybe a month. And uh, one of my uh, good friends out here, I didn't know him at the time, really, before I moved out. A guy named Dave Neustadter. I've said this many a time. Dave Neustadter went to uh, my same college, but before me. It just so happened a friend, a mutual friend connected us. He took me to lunch when I first moved to LA and then the position opened up and there was this uh, young lady named Katie Krentz who used to be the receptionist there. And she's now a big time exec. She got a promotion. She told Dave, Dave calls me. He's like, yeah, there's this young dude who just moved out here. He might need a gig. So he hits me up. He's like, you want, there's a job at the family dude or something. I'd never seen the show. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I guess I'll take it. And then I took it. And then, you know, I was at the front desk of family guy. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be a PA on a show like that? Um, I think it's it was different then than it is now, right? I think back then, you got to think, this was before Instagram. I think it was like, it might right at the start of Twitter, you know, if not before Twitter, but right at the beginnings of Twitter. So there was a very clear path, you know. Um, I, 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 I've said this before. I kind of feel like, I was the last of that breed of work your way up from the mailroom sort of thing. You know, like you worked as a receptionist at a, a TV show and then you met people and learned experience and then you worked your way up. I don't think that's necessarily the case now. I think people are making their own content. People are building with each other. It's just much different. We're doing a podcast. I don't even know where you guys are in the world. We're connecting, you know what I mean? Like, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways to, to get things done. So. But at the time, everybody really, TV writing was it, you know? And a lot of those guys just, they saw a, a path to that. So a lot of the PAs there, you know, wrote specs, wrote their own material to get into the writer's room. But me being me, almost everything about my career was not sort of conventional. Atypical, would you say? Wink, wink. Uh, yeah, no, legit. You know, I I went to school for piano performance and theater, ended up being a receptionist writing features at an animated half-hour comedy. That doesn't even make sense, you know? And, but those features that I wrote that everybody said, nobody's making these movies, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and now are the things that I'm just making. Um, but a lot of those guys that work there, I mean, have gone on to do amazing things. You know, I could go down, there's, I go down the list. There's plenty of people who worked at Family Guy who then right. went off to do some really dope stuff, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I will say one thing cool about that Family Guy, American Dad, um, and Cleveland Show spinoff was it was all sort of like, it was a family. So a lot of the PAs ended up being writers. You know, some of Seth's assistants ended up becoming, you know, EP level people. Andrew Goldberg went off and created Big Mouth after he left, you know. So people have done some really dope things. Dan Povermeyer went off and made Phineas and Ferb. He was a director on Family Guy. Um, I mean, I know I'm forgetting so many people. It's competitive because everybody was so talented. So that sort of helped people really stay on their on their grind. 
So you're a musician, you're a writer, you are <laughs> a, I'm like trying to like tally it all up, but we haven't talked about the origin of you as an actor and how mm -hmm. you fell into acting or how you grew into acting and then um, landing a role on the Orville, which I'm sure has something to do with Seth, but we'd love to hear that path as well. Sure. Uh, yeah, I grew up playing piano, classical piano, and I was, I was really good. And that was sort of the path. You know, I always get ready for a competition, compete, win, rinse and repeat. Um, and I think that work ethic actually led directly to my ability to kind of be able to do what I'm doing now. I think it's a direct uh, correlation that I actually had another friend had to tell me that because I, I, I didn't put it together. But with those piano competitions, it was it was a clear path. It was you work for three, four months intensely, you get ready for this repertoire, you play it, and then it's done. And then the next day you start over. Um, I was an athlete in high school. I uh, had a lot of different sort of interests. So I chose Indiana University. Um, I got really lucky with that actually because I, I didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of high school. It's a weird thing when you have a very specific skill set, but you don't know if that's what you want to do for your whole life. Like, I don't know why I could play classical music and I'm good at it, but I don't know if that's what I want to do forever. So I, I chose Indiana because it was a overall college experience versus a, a, just a conservatory where it's just, just music, you know? Um, and IU turns out had one of the top music programs in the country. So it was the best of both worlds. It was close to home, top notch music program, D1 college, and you know, the campus and dorms and all that stuff, right? So I ended up running track for a little bit while I was there. But freshman year, playing flag football, these stupid ass Adidas I had on, slip, fall, break my thumb. Or tissue in there, I'm, I'm good now. But that was the first time in my life, and this is some scary stuff right here for an 18 year old kid to go, oh shit, what am I gonna do now, you know? And at that time, I remember I was really, really devastated. I thought I was going to lose my scholarship. I didn't know what was going to happen. And my piano teacher, he's since passed away, uh, Dr. Battersby, amazing musician and professor. I went to him, you know, my, had surgery on my thumb. And he looked at me and he's like, okay. And he goes and he grabs two books, uh, Bach and Scriabin, all left-handed. So that whole semester, I just played with my left hand. Um, but... I ended up taking my first acting class. Cause at that time I said, oh, you know what? I got some extra time here. I can might as well, I don't know, add an, you know, an elective. So I took theater, literally theater 101 and day one fell in love with it. And it was that moment of, oh, this is what I'm, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah, I'm in. So I ended up adding theater as a, a second major. I didn't act in high school or as a kid at all, except when I was acting up, but. <laughs> So then when you came out to Los Angeles, was acting part of what you were seeking out here? Oh, I came out to be famous. I was, <laughs> I'm, about to be, oh, I'm about to be so famous. Give it eight months. Overnight success. Here we are, 16 years later, doing a podcast on my first distributed feature. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I came out to act. But I've also said this before. My prayer, my wish, what I put out wasn't just to come out to act. Cause again, I wasn't writing yet. I remember saying, if I go to LA, let me do it like it's like it hasn't been done before. And I think because I put that out there, it wasn't just me coming out and 
getting an agent or booking roles and be, and blowing up. It was like, sit your ass down, validate this parking. You're going to figure out how to write, produce, direct, hustle, grind, create. I'm going to build relationships with amazing people that will come to fruition later on. And then, so now I'm in this position of, oh, you know, I'm doing all of it. And I, I never, I never saw that as I was driving to LA, you know, I, I never, I never could have envisioned that. I don't know what I envisioned, but I was just excited to, to get here. So talking about like, let's fast forward a little bit from like when you first got to Los Angeles, but like, let's say you leave, when did you leave uh, the family guy PA position? Was that like 2010, 2012 or something? No, or? before that I, I left, I was there two, two and a half years. I think I left like February or March of 2007. And then what, so what are you, you doing after that? Are you starting to act and uh, you know, go on auditions, try to land roles? Are you more like turning into the independent filmmaker and like creating roles for yourself? Like what is your step after you leave that job? So his was funny. Um, <laughs> I didn't know shit about this industry when I came here. I think a lot of people, of course, have that same feeling. You think you know, but you don't, right? People want to act. I love acting. I love art. But there's a whole business side to it. And every time I used to hear that, I used to think it took away from the purity of the art side. It felt like they were at odds, right? And I don't think that's the case. You just got to figure out how to how to learn it. The way I learned it was through some random shit. My first headshot, I, I, I remember I found this guy, I don't know how, it might have been online, in San Diego, who's a photographer. Again, this is before you could, there's no lenses on your flip phone and all that crap. So, <laughs> uh, so I had to go to San Diego and this dude took my headshots. And I remember it was black and white, my first headshots were black and white, and I had on a suit jacket and a button up shirt, like with a tie, take the photos, get them back. So happy about these pics. I look good, I look handsome, you know, I'm like, oh, these are dope, right? But the crazy thing about the photo is it didn't make sense. I was 24 when I moved out. I looked like I was 18. I'm wearing a suit jacket, cause in my brain, I'm an actor, right? I'm like, I can just play roles. I don't know. So you look at the headshot, and you go, well, this, this dude isn't a father. This guy isn't the guy that's saving the day. Who, this kid looks, he's not the lawyer. He's not the doctor, right? But then I got this suit jacket on. I'm trying to be all professional. I'm not the high school quarterback. I'm not the high school, you know what I mean? So I ended up being sort of in this middle ground. And I think how that really came to pass is I thought about it. I said, okay, you got to figure out what you want to do. And a lot of my friends who are, you know, extremely successful now, I've seen blow up and do great things. And I remember there was a point in time where I said, Jay, you're just not going to act for 10 years. You're just going to write. You're just going to write. You're going to create. And you'll come into the game as an adult. Like, you're going to just come in as a grown man. Because just at that time, I was just in that middle place of, I don't know if I'm high school, I don't know if I'm grown man. The way you looked, you couldn't tell what your age range was, or is it you couldn't tell what your type was, your Hollywood type was? Uh, well, that's, well, that's a whole different thing. I think my age from that, fo the photo was important because I realized, okay, what am I, what am I selling? What, who am I to this industry? You know, and I was seeing all these people sort of blow up, but I was writing and I said, you know what? Just keep doing this. I don't know how this is going to play out, but keep doing it. And then I'll literally, I'll do this. I said it. I'll do it for 10 years. 
And when I come into the game, I'll be like a young man. So forget the college roles, forget the high school roles. Boom. Almost 10 years to the day. And I wrote and directed and acted my, in my own projects. Almost 10 years to the day, I'm out at dinner with Seth. And he goes, hey, I got this project. And it was the Orville. And that, mind you, again, I had been in things before, but they were all my stuff. What do you think made him think of you for that? Was it from seeing like your your web series or you know your short films or, or other things that you'd made, or was it just because he knew you? Like, what made you? What made him take that chance on putting you in that show in, in like a prominent role? Yeah, it, I don't know a, a few things because if you look at my credits before I get on the Oroville, it's a bunch of random stuff. You know, I've done some voiceover for the shows, right? Um, and I've been in a couple random projects, but. I didn't have a reel, you know, I didn't have a body of work as an actor that you could go, oh yeah, you know, Seth knew my work ethic and he knew my talent. And, you know, we were literally friends and, and, and like colleagues, right? I remember thinking when I left, oh, I have to look at these people who are doing these major things. Literally, I'm looking up at people, you know? And at some point I was like, I gotta get up. Like, let me, let me physically get the fuck up. And, <laughs> and I think those sort of things help you walk differently. And there's no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's nothing wrong with those positions, but you just got to know when it's time to level up. Um, so I think I just, I never was shy about my talent level and what I could do. So I think he had confidence um, in me. And mind you, I still had to go in and test and, and, you know, I didn't just go straight to set. <laughs> so so but, you had, a, do you have to audition for like the producers and stuff or was it like? Yeah. Okay. And, and how does that work? You talk about nervous because <laughs> that was mine to lose. Literally John Lamar says, boom, in the pilot. So he, you know, he told me, he's like, I wrote it with you in mind. So there's a different level of pressure kind of going into it that way. I almost freaked myself out before the audition because at the time, there were so many dudes in my sort of category, mind you, go back to 10 years before, them same cats had now amassed a body of work for 10 years, who were still my type. So 10 years later, I know the network and studio are like, who the fuck is Jay Lee? Like, <laughs> go get, you know, such and such. Or this dude just came off of a lead of a TV show, give it to him. So I know there were a lot of people vying for this role because the show coming out was so big. And Seth doing live action, it was it was a massive sort of buzz behind the show. So uh, I went in, I did the audition, that went on, and then I did the test. Uh, and then Scott and I did the test together, who plays Gordon. And then and I knew Scott from American Dad because I used to valet his part when he oh. was coming to do voices. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, so then it just worked out, and then I was on Orville. Wow. That's awesome, man. And I, I think like the key thing for the listeners here to me is like, okay, so you worked as a PA on American Dad, Family Guy and everything. You, you know, became like friend, friendly with Seth, you know, and you guys are like, you know, colleagues and everything. But that's one thing going to like being like a lead on his next big show. That's like a completely different thing. So the question is like, were you sending your work to Seth? Like, as you were making it to be like, Hey, check this out. Like I just made this thing. Or was it like, he was just following you because you guys are buddies. Uh, okay. So here's what's funny about that for the listeners between the time I left, you got to understand. I leave family got 2007. Orville is what? 2017, 16. Yeah. So you, 
10 years, right? Like right, 10 years. Right, right. So in that 10 years, I was writing and making my own stuff. I probably wrote 15 projects. I was shooting random stuff. You know, when people started getting equipment, I would just make little things. And these are like right? shorts, web series, like things that aren't necessarily backed by a studio, but are like independently financed, like smaller projects or? Absolutely. I haven't had any studio film funding yet. And it and uh, it's, it's given me a lot of uh, power and flexibility um, because I, you know, I own everything. I just do it. So, but, uh, but you have to make it, you just have to do it. But again, I think I've always had that ability just to get something done, right? Um, but what's important, because I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a piece there that people should know. I never asked Seth for anything. The first, actually, the two, <laughs> I actually wrote him, let me go back. There's two, there's a funny <laughs> story. I don't know if I've ever told this. He knows this story. Um, and not, not to get all the way down this, this path, but I was doing a play reading in Minnesota. And this very, very talented, uh, amazing uh, man, Marion McClinton. Uh, McClinton died not too long ago, but a great playwright and just artist. And uh, he was doing this play uh, reading and I did it. And uh, I was talking to Marion and he's like, you, wait, so you do this, 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 and, and, and you know, and, and you're friends with Seth. He's like, man, you better, you never asked him like to, to, to work with you. And I hadn't, you know, cause we were just friends. And somehow in that span of conversation and went from, you should see if he would want to, you know, help you get a movie made to I'm gonna ask Seth for like $12 million to make a bunch of movies. <laughs> so I come back to LA and I hit him up. Well, I was like, hey man, I want to take you to dinner. I want to take you to dinner. Is that Seth? Is that him right now? It would be so great if it was. <laughs> it would be so amazing if it was, right? I said, hey, man, I want to take you to dinner. I want to talk to you about something. And he's like, yeah, sure. I said, no, but I want it to be, you know, like a like on a, like on a thing, like a, like a business dinner. Mind you, I was broke, you know, because I'd already left. And I was, <laughs> so we ended up going to this very fancy restaurant. A friend of mine had worked there and I kind of got hooked up. And I had really psyched myself up to be like, oh, yeah, if I get like 10, 12 million, I can make five movies. I can do this. I was really... <laughs> <laughs> so we go to this restaurant and we sit down and mind you, I'd already calculated, okay, this $200 has got to last the night. Seth, you know, you order differently when you got a little bit more money. You're not looking at the right side of the menu. You're just looking at the items you want to eat. So he sits down and he's just ordering shit. And I'm like, hey man, uh, you don't want to look at none of these prices, bro? Because... <laughs> You know, they got to swipe this card at the end of the day. And he's just like, let me get this. And you know, whatever. So I'm, we're well, I'm over my 200 before we even get to the main course. So at some point I was like, hey man, so yeah. So, and I know he's looking at me crazy. Like, what are we doing here? Cause we've hung out, like it's my friend, you know? So I said, hey man, I want to talk to you about something. I got this idea. I want to do a couple projects. And um, I was like, yeah. So, you know, I was thinking maybe it's like, like 12, 10, 12 million, you know, boom. Get, do these projects, get my production. I was like, I'm gonna just get a crack. And so I literally, like, I saw him gulp and go, <clears throat> like, he kind of looked at me like, what? Now, mind you, the last time he saw me working was at the front desk, right? And we hung out, <laughs> we had gone and kicked it. And now I'm sitting across from him being, yeah, you know, so and I could do these projects. And I had it all mapped out. And he kind of goes, well, okay. Um, well, Jay, uh, wow, okay. And I could tell he was, 
he was he was he was really thinking, what is Jay talking about here? That's crazy. Finish dinner, he kind of answers without answering. And but me, I'm like, no, bro, I'm gonna need that. I'm gonna need that. <laughs> What's good? Like, can we get back to what we came to dinner for? So he goes, well, Jay, you know, that's uh, that's that's I don't know. And and so Bill comes, he says no, very very nicely. Bill comes, it's something crazy. I had a I had a St. Louis Cardinals debit card, you know, and I I was completely prepared. Well, the bill comes, I grab it. And he goes, Jay, no, stop. Come on, let me do it. I said, no, I asked you out to dinner. Let me do it. This is how, this is the business side of things, right? I want to bring you out for a business dinner. Let me take care of it. <laughs> I knew that shit in my car wasn't going to go. But I was already prepped for my three. Just try it again. <sighs> this is so embarrassing. <laughs> just, can you like rub the magnetic strip and just run it, please? I mean, Seth, I'm so sorry. This never happens. My car was like cracked. It was, uh, you know. Oh, and he insisted, and after a few minutes, he was like, no, Jay, seriously, I, stop, I insist. You know, and he throws his black card down, and he goes, clink, 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 because it's made a different material. <laughs> so, cut to a few years later. I write this other movie. That ultimately doesn't go. I, I, I option it to a studio. Kind of some behind-the-scenes messy stuff happens. Out of frustration, I write the first draft of Wednesdays to bring it back, right? Now, initially, the Seth Green role, I wrote for Seth MacFarlane. Uh-huh. So what happened was I went to Seth and I said, hey, man, do you want to be in my movie? I'm making this movie. Will you be in it? And that was the first time I had sent him anything I wrote. So I wasn't sending him stuff the whole time. Right, I was just right. doing my own thing, right? So... With, with Wednesdays, Atypical Wednesday, I wrote a part, I wrote him in it. Like, hey bro, do you want to come be in my movie? He reads it. And at the time he was doing Million Ways to Die in the West. I remember he comes back to me and he had a, a very early cut screening for that movie. And he goes, Jay, I read your script. It's really, really great. Can I introduce you to my producer? He introduces me to Jason Clark, who was producing Million Ways to Die in the West. Again, at the time, I have no credits. Nobody knows who I am for real. I sit with him, and I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm making this movie. And Jason goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to, I want to star in it. I want to direct it. And he goes, wow, okay. Um, and I remember he circled a date on the calendar. He said, okay, well, maybe we could do it around here. Uh, Seth loves you. You seem very great, but have you directed yourself in anything? And I hadn't since my very first project I did back in 2006, which was a documentary which I edited at the front desk of Family Guy. <laughs> Leaving that meeting, I said, oh, you know what? I should probably make something that I could act in and direct. I was writing for the Cleveland show at the time, had a bit of money, a little bit of money. So I write two black dudes as like a short web, server, web series. My agents at the time were like, what are you doing? What are we supposed to do with these seven page scripts? I said, I'm just gonna make it. Make two black dudes, just to show I could act in something, right? So I could make Wednesdays. Finish two black dudes, have a screening of that, strictly to show Seth and Jason, hey, look, I can do both. The screening and the show ends up being so dope. Seth goes, well, your show is great. You should just keep doing your show. Can I help you make the show? So I keep, I make the show, right? Uh, Then at the same time, He's writing Orville, or created Orville. Because of that, 
because I had two black dudes and I was in it, it, it was easier for him to then go, oh yeah, of course, Jay Lee can that, you know? So it took me to do all of this stuff without knowing how it was gonna play out to eventually play out. And the whole story with the dinner thing, we laugh about it now because I go, and I told him this as we left, I said, well, hey, look, man, at the end of the day, you can, you can say, Jay Lee came to me and asked me to help him make five projects and needed $10 million. And I was like, yep, that's what I would need. And I think you gotta be able to, a lot of people say they want something, but you don't actually know what you want. I had it mapped out. I, that shit was crazy asking somebody just to give me that much money. But I was like, I'm not putting it in my pocket. I needed to make these projects. And, but I was already looking at myself in that way. I was already walking a certain way and a belief in myself a certain way. So by the time Orville comes out later, but by the time I make Two Black Dudes or I make this other short movie I made called Naked Eye, I was already like, yeah, this is what I do. My bank account didn't reflect it, but I believed it. Have you ever had moments where this confidence didn't invade your body the way, I mean, you're so fabulously talented, hardworking and confident, but are, do you have down moments? Because it sounds like you don't, which is pretty lucky. No, you know, I do. I just try not to spend a lot of time in those down moments. Mm. You know, my very first big project I failed. I, I used to say it failed horribly. Now I say it was a beautiful learning opportunity, right? So an old writing partner of mine, we write this script called The Curse of Medusa Makes the Blacklist. Big deal, right? So we take all these meetings, everything's going great. The follow-up to that, there was this other project uh, that we tried to make. And I was trying to make it for like a dumb number that I didn't even understand. I think we were trying to make it for like $4 million. Mind you, I'm broke. <laughs> I start making some calls, you know. Somehow we get the money, right? A friend of mine, you know, he's like, I could, I could help you out, childhood friend. Long story short, that movie completely falls apart. I lose all my money. I got to move out of my apartment. I just had to sell a bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, it was, it, was, it was that moment, you know, when they're making this documentary about Jay Lee. This is that moment of he lost it all. This is that act two moment, right? Everything went to shit. But, and I had to move in with my cousin. I mean, it was bad. But because that movie fell flat, I can make a typical Wednesday for the money we made it and make it look the way it looks because I learned so much in that quote unquote failure, right? I think where a lot of people get hung up is when something doesn't go the way they think they want it to go, that informs the rest of their shit versus saying, okay, what could I take from it? What could I learn from this? And then you flip that. So it's not that I don't have down moments, it's that I, I truly try to take the learning uh, part from anything that doesn't go the way I thought it would go and use it for my good. I don't try to dwell in the negative or I don't try to dwell in the, well, damn, this didn't work out in my favor. It's like, all right, well, what the fuck did? Oh, that did. Let me take that and then you keep pushing. But I, it took me a minute because up to that point, I remember saying this as I was packing up my stuff and selling my stuff. I was like, I've never lost. I was like, I've never lost before. Okay, shit. What do I do with that? And I, 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 I wrote a brand new script called Trailer of the Forgotten, which 
I have not made yet, but I promise you it's going to get made. And Trail of the Forgotten <laughs> led to this, and that led to that, and that led, you know? So out of that pain, I made something. I wrote something. Yeah, so I guess the question is, like, as an actor, what kind of direction do you like to get? And then is it the same as, like, as what you like to give other actors on set? Uh, I think I've, I used to be scared to direct because I didn't know what it meant. You know, I always thought directing was, you had to know exactly what kind of lens to use and what to do when like the technical aspect of everything. And there are a lot of directors who do that. You know, there are a lot of directors who, you know, camera. Um, there are directors who sit back and they're big picture people. You know, they're just action directors who, as long as the explosion works, um, you actors figure it out. You know, you guys can rehearse, we run it once or twice and then we're shooting. Um, I've all, I think because I was a writer and I am a writer, to me, it all starts with the script. So if the script doesn't make sense, then your movie won't make sense, you know? And if, if it doesn't come off the page to the actors, it doesn't matter what your shot looks like. You know, if you have this beautiful long one shot, but what people are saying is shit, it's like, okay, you know, who cares? But you could have a static shot with two people just talking. And if it makes sense and if you believe them, you're interested. So once I realized, oh, I could just, and I do have an eye, you know, there are certain things that I need and want. But if you hire for me, I thought if, if I can just get a great DP who can help me come up with the look in my head and, and, and sort of, if I can articulate it even poorly, but he or she knows, okay, this is what I think he's saying this is what we set up, then I can just get in and work with the actors. Because I, like, I, I always say I'm, um, like I like to really work with the performance. Because I think the acting side of me, this is how I would want to be directed. I try to, I try to make sure the, the actors are having fun, A, and really something to grasp onto. Um, so I think that's how I approach it. Um, the look and everything, I try to leave, I trust in my crew to help me bring that to life. But especially since I'm a writer director, I'm the only one who knows what it's supposed to kind of sound and feel like. So that, that takes a lot of energy as well. Act, or in, and being in it, I think it's important to have somebody on set to help you with your performance. Because when you write, direct, and act, the last thing you think about is your performance sometimes. So you end up doing all the setup, you set the shot up, you're giving notes to other people, rush, 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 last looks, and then, oh shit, I gotta say my part. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're like in the editing room, like, why the fuck did I do that? So who is that person for you who like gives you that, um, you know, that kind of whatever direction of your, of your own acting or whatever you want to call it? Uh, Ahmed Best was, and actually I had a couple. My boy Jason Kelly, uh, my boy Ahmed Best, uh, my friend Tracy Time, she came to set. So yeah, I was, I was aware enough to say, hey, look, people who are really good at this, make sure you, you know, pay attention to my performance here. Because again, 12 days, it's not like I got a lot of time. I'm not gonna get eight <laughs> takes. You right. know, you gotta knock that shit out. So depending on the project, you know, I think depends on who you kind of have there for you. But I've been lucky enough to have a, a core group of friends out here who always read my material, come to set, I bounce my ideas off of. And then do you, do you spend a lot of time watching playback or do you like just kind of, you know, once you have that, like, you know, sort of 
confidence that you got it. And then like you have your person there who's like going to give you the thumbs up that yes, that worked that you just move on. What's time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, I would have loved to have shot my movie in 21 days, you know, but every day is more money. So it's up to you if you want to go look at playback. You know what I mean? Do you want to take this extra bit of time to, to go watch that playback? The sun's coming down. It's up to you. And my movie, by the way, how dumb am I? I make my movie, A, I have a child actor who's amazing, by the way, Cooper Friedman, um, but I'm up against child restriction time. I shoot it in the summer, right, or like the fall, so the days are fucking short. So like 4.30, the sun's going down, and my movie's <laughs> supposed to take place over one day. So... Yeah, that's real brilliant, Jay Lee. Let's let's back yourself into a corner, make this movie in twelve days with the shortest days of the year and very strict child restriction time. So, yeah, playback uh, only if I needed it as much as you can. So you're not on set scrambling and then you know stressed out. And I I think we're winding down a little bit, but I just want to make sure we give enough uh, due time to typical Wednesdays. And I just wanted to hear how yeah. it's going and what your expectations are for the re- release right now. Sure. Um, I'm really, you know, I'm really pleased with it. It's, it's, you know, unfortunately we're in this sort of crazy time in the world between this a pandemic and b literally a revolution and awakening of uh, people not being pieces of shit and just, paying attention right and appreciating and at least acting like you like black people right now by the way (laughs) shout out it's probably pretty smart to start liking black people if you haven't done it (laughs) i know it might be difficult but fucking want to get on that train i'm telling you right now if you don't already like black people get started (laughs) listen hit me up on social media i have i've tools i literally started a school called do better university so everybody can do better not just in this but in general, but uh, yeah, anyway, um, now that people are waking up to, oh, black people are important too. Um, it's a weird time in the world. Not for me, not weird. I'm like, great, but for a lot of people it's weird. Uh, it just so happened though, that after we finished shooting, went in the post, it was a long post-production because I went back to shooting Oroville. It all lined up that it came out right now. And again, I would have never expected that. So the, the sort of blessing in the middle of all this for me personally was I could get this film out, film out that has to do with a black man going to therapy and deals with race, this young white kid, you know, and what is that like? These two complete opposites who end up spending time together and actually seeing each other and talking to each other and not at each other. You know, what is that like? What is it like being in therapy? You know, people, I never talked about therapy growing up. Therapy was for crazy people, you know, until I got my therapist and I'm like, oh, I think we're all fucking crazy. We need therapy. We need to deal with a lot of stuff, you know? So it all, it it all like, again, if I look at everything in my career, it all seems random, but it all seems extremely specific. So finish the movie, get the distribution deal, um, we were supposed to have a theatrical release, but then the pandemic hit. But we've still found a way to have this socially distanced premiere on the rooftop at this theater in LA last week. Oh, cool. Um, so that was really, really awesome. So I was able to still celebrate it and the crew see it, got some press for the movie, and it came out, and the response has been great so far. Um, I'm really, I'm pleased with the movie. 
no matter what, even if people hated it, I'm pleased with what I made. Um, I'm happy I made it. I'm happy I met the people along the way who made it with me. I love my cast. I love my crew. Um, and I really, really, really love this movie. And uh, the fact that it came out now, how it did, when it did, where it did, uh, is truly a blessing. Like, I, I couldn't have asked for a better sort of experience with my movie coming out. And it's crazy to say because the world is so crazy right now. I have one question about distribution. Like, did you guys do um, a film festival run or did you guys just go straight to distribution? Um, again, it's crazy how things happen. Most of the festivals I wanted to get into, I didn't, right? Um, also, at the time we shot the movie, because I had a very small window, a lot of the submission platforms I had missed. So, you know, the big festivals, I'd already missed that window, so I'd have had to apply the next year anyway. Uh, but some of the ones I wanted to get into, I didn't. And I remember at the time, again, going back to your question, Liz, about the down. It sucks when somebody says no to you. You know, I just spent all this fucking money. I'm in it. They're saying no to me in multiple ways. <laughs> my writing, my <laughs> acting, my directing, my producing. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, and that sucks. So what do you do? Do I just, I don't know, go under the bed? Or I figure out a way to keep pushing because all you need is one yes. And people aren't saying no to you. It's a lot of different things that come into it. So, right. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed in some of the things, but I just kept pushing. And then, you know, next thing I know, we had a, a couple deals on the table or a couple offers, which at the time were like, oh, this seems so, I wanted this big whatever, <laughs> right. you know. But then Gravitas came on board, they dug it. And um, I, you know, trusted my gut, went with them. And here we are. Now you can turn your TV on and literally watch my movie. Like right now, I did it all night last night. I went to all the platforms <laughs> just to make sure it was real. I and it's like, that. yeah, I get that. You know, and watch it's your something trailer. I, yeah. Oh, you know, it, but it's important because I think you got to celebrate those wins. There's you work so hard to get somewhere, then you get there and you don't even take time to realize it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy with the movie. You know, I'm really really happy with it. Well, congratulations! I saw it this morning. Uh, it was great work, man. I really enjoyed it. You know, and that opening scene was really, I like that scene a lot where you're slapping the kid. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I don't advocate hitting kids, but, uh, <laughs> right. but, I can, but, but I can tell every adult that's never been smacked before. A lot of people causing a lot of problems, never been punched in the face. <laughs> you know, a lot of people doing some foul shit as adults. It's like, if I could have just, just not too hard, not like my whole, <laughs> whole body, but if I could have just, Smacked the look, smacked you just once when you're about 12. You might have had a different trajectory, but um, yeah, that that uh, that opening scene was um, cause and effect, cause and effect. That's what, that's what everybody just you know, do whatever you want to do, just know there's an effect behind every action, there's a reaction. So, you know, I think it's important, mind you. Again, I'm not saying hit kids, but if you do, make it a good reason. <laughs> So I have one last question before we get to our final five. It's just like, so, you know, you've got this amazing career as an actor, you've got this film that you write, wrote, directed and acted. You're obviously a very prolific writer. Like, what do you see for your future? Like, is it going to be like doubling down on the writing? Are you going to like go off to direct your next movie? Are you going to just keep on acting? Like, what is all of those things? Like what's, what's next? 
D, all of the above. Um, <laughs> I remember I, uh, at a, a certain point, I was looking at like five different people's careers that all kind of lumped into one. And they, they don't really make sense individually, but for whatever reason at the time, I was like, this is the career I want. And it all has to do with writing, directing, acting, producing, music. Uh, I was gonna do a concert um, in May, but if, you know, of course the pandemic hit, so I'm gonna do that whenever we open back up, but I was getting really excited about this concert, classical piano. Um, wow. But yeah, the plan is to do all of it. You know, I wanna, I wanna- Clint Eastwood. Really get this, you know, when people look at me, they're like, that's Clint Eastwood. I mean, I know it's a joke, but like, he writes music, he, he acts, he directs, yeah. I mean, come on. But you've got one up on Clint because Clint doesn't write. You also write too. So you've kind of got him beat in, in a way. Clint doesn't write? I thought he, no, I no, guess he doesn't. No, he doesn't write. But yeah, you know, I mean, look, Seth is, uh, again, he's a guy who does a lot. And, you know, it was, it was interesting being able to be friends with him before my shit was popping off. And I would go into meetings or meet with agents or producers or whoever, and they go, you can't do that. I'm like, but my fucking friend is doing it. You can't tell me I can't do it. <laughs> right. What are you talking about? My boy, I'm at best. He's a multi-talented, hyphenate person. You can't tell me I can't. My friends are doing this shit. That's like me telling y'all, you can't do a podcast. I'm like, right. but I'm doing it. The fuck are you talking about, dummy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally doing it. I see people doing it. What we like to do at the end of the show is kind of transition to like a big picture look at yourself and your career and your future okay. and your past. And what's the first film you've ever made and how do you feel about it now? Battle for the Crown. It was a documentary on stepping. I'm in a fraternity. Shout out Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, I love it. It's my first project. It still somehow holds up, at least in my brain. And... Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny. I go back and look at it and I go, wow, I made that. I made that without knowing what I was doing. And like I said earlier in this uh, podcast, I literally edited that movie at the front desk of Family Guy. I had my work computer and I had my laptop and this big ass camera, this little mini DV tape, little <laughs> record. Like I had my whole setup, you know, and actors would come in and record. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm trying to, I'm trying to edit this movie. I didn't edit, uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I did the whole thing. And, um, yeah, I'm proud of anything I made. I got a tattoo on my back. My first tattoo fucking sucks. Love it. It's amazing. Never getting it covered up. It's perfect. No mistakes. Uh, what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Give yourself more time. Yeah, I would say that too. Give yourself more time. Whatever time you think you need, you need more. And also, do the work. Just fucking do it. First day of shooting Wednesday, uh, Atypical Wednesday. I had a production meeting. I told everybody, I said, hey, listen, nobody, I said, nobody bring me a problem. No one is allowed to bring me a problem. You could bring me an opportunity. Don't bring me no fucking problems. I got too much on my plate. And I wanted a certain energy on my set, right? You've been around people and sets and energy where people are complaining and bitching and complaining. And that energy spreads quickly. I need... What are solutions? Joke I always say is somebody comes up and says, hey, Jay, we have a problem. We have an opportunity to <laughs> shoot in a new location. <laughs> right? Which is different from, Jay, we just, got, we just lost our location. What are we going to do? You know, I don't know. Fucking figure it out. So, <laughs> yeah, no problems. Don't focus on the problem. What's the opportunity? Yeah. By the way, 
real quick, Liz, I want to go back to your the question you said, how do I feel about my first project? My first project, Battle for the Crown, very first time I ever saw that on a big screen, Arizona Black Film Festival. I drive to Arizona, my sister comes in town, it was this whole big deal. Rushed to the theater where they had this festival, there was like nobody there, there was like six <laughs> people in the theater. I remember dropping my sister off at the front because I was a little late and I rushed to park, I run in and as I run in, it was me on the screen. Yeah. And I remember I stopped and literally like shed a tear. And, <laughs> and that feeling I had from when I made that first movie that probably no one will really see is the same feeling I have now. It's the same feeling I have when I saw myself on Orville. It'll be the same feeling I have when I win whatever the fuck I win, all the things, right? For whatever right. thing I do. I, and I, I'm stressing that because it's important to not chase all like, you don't have to keep chasing up. You can look across, right? You can look at yourself and go, wow, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm doing something, you know, don't skip over those moments. That piano is a great example. That piano is 35 years of practice, training, scales, hard work, missing out on parties, not being able to hang out with your friends, you know, cause you're practicing and working and competing. That's what that represents. So every time I look at it, it's a reminder. Oh yeah, that's literally what hard work can do. And I'm happy with that result. So anyway, I didn't mean to get all fluffy. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful reflection. Um, actually it's really related to our next question. Um, funnily enough, but do you have like a I know you have many goals, but do you have a specific landmark that you want to achieve as a storyteller? I always say, uh, if I can make art that makes people think, laugh, cry, and do better, I've done my job. So whatever platform that is, if it's a film, if it's a TV show, if it's an animated show, if it's a concert, if it's just public speaking, um, I don't know what that looks like. You know, remember those game shows where they'd have that big box and it's just the wind and there's money flying around and you could just yes. go in and yeah. grab, yeah. grab yeah. 60 yeah. seconds? Yeah. Right. The question, and this is just coming to me now, it's almost like asking me, I'm in a box and the wind is flying and there's money flying around. It's like, which one of those, what does it look like? How much money, like how much would I come out with? What's the landmark? And the reality is, you just take the box down and there's no wind and it's all there anyway. So I'm not, you know, it's just there. Does that make sense? I think it sounds like you want all of the things. I want, no, but it's the opposite of that. Like I don't even want all the things. I just want, I want to continue to do what I'm meant to do, right? I want to just continue to be a vessel for whatever information and art that I can have to influence the world, hopefully in a positive way, you know? Um, and 20 years from now, when people listen to this podcast and they say, Jay Lee said it's okay to hit kids. No, I'm gonna find this part <laughs> of it and say, no, it's not okay to hit kids, okay? I was making a joke. I'm saying there are a lot of shitty ass adults who were shitty ass kids who we didn't pay attention to. So don't hit them, maybe even hug them, okay? But hug, you need to do something about these shitty ass kids. Turning the shitty ass people who are making us do 
revolutionary things. Nip that in the bud is all I'm saying. So when when that comes out, I'm fine. This part of this podcast. Um, but yeah, I just want to continue to just make art and hopefully make this place better than when I got in here. And then if you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? When it comes to filmmaking, like as art or? Uh, whatever. I mean, it could be filmmaking related or it could just be like for yourself. So, you know, I did, a, a, did a, uh, a friend of mine who was in my film, very, very talented cat, Joshua Baton, uh, had me come and talk to his acting class last week. And we talked about a lot of the, just the hustle of this town. And, you know, and one of the students asked me that question. And before I knew it, the answer I gave was this, and I'll give it to you as well, because it just kind of rang true. It was, I would go back to my younger self and hug him and tell him, as fearless as you are in your career and putting yourself out there as an artist and, you know, sort of putting yourself, I don't know, up for whatever rejection or acceptance, you can do that in your personal life as well. I think that's something that I uh, kind of sacrificed to do a lot of my stuff, but I think there's a certain amount of balance we all need. You know, I used to always wonder how artists would, you know, blow up and get crazy successful or, you know, famous or whatever, and then disappear. And it's because I think we all need balance. You know, and we live in such a consumer, gimme, 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 gimme sort of uh, society that it can deplete you. And if you're always trying to fill that void, and, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of work. So um, balance, it's all about balance. You know, when you work out, you don't want to just work out your arms. You know, you want to work out your core. You want to work out your glutes. You want to work out your calves. You want to work out your mind. I'll be sounding smart, huh? <laughs> I just heard myself. Oh, just man, dropping I, I, knowledge for an hour. Yeah, I was just going to say that, that that would be the answer to that. And our last question is, um, is making movies hard? No. I love it. I of love course that. you would say no. Of course. Of course. Have we learned <laughs> nothing from this past hour? Of course you should. <laughs> it, no. Is, it's, is it hard? No. Like I said, I mean, that sounds like I'm giving you a sort of facetious answers on the surface, but it's not. Not if you love it. It's like asking, you know, is loving your wife or husband or child hard? I'm sure it's difficult sometimes. You know, I'm sure like, yeah, you'd probably get on your nerves sometimes, but overall it's like, nah, it's like I love it. Well, okay, so since you said that, I wanna throw a bonus question at you just because I'm curious. Like, what was your biggest challenge in making a typical Wednesdays? And let's just like narrow it down to like the shoot itself. Like you shot in 12 days. What was the hardest, most challenging moment of that shoot? I'm gonna give you a fluffy answer. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the hardest thing was making the decision to make it. Again, between the time I wrote the first draft and when I shot it, a lot of people read it and liked it. A lot of people were like, we should give you, we should do it. I'm like, okay, where's the fucking money? Can you help me get it made? And there was a lot of, let's set a meeting. And I set a meeting and in that meeting, we discuss a meeting. And then we table that and then we put a meeting on the books and then we'd have another meeting. And then next thing you know, it's like three, four years. I'm like, what the, where'd my movie go, right? <laughs> the day I decided to make it, I sat at my table in my dining room and I said, fuck it, I'm making it. And I looked at my account. I said, how much could I waste on this <laughs> piece of art? I had a number. 
I started making some calls and then all of a sudden the train was moving. So any problem that happened, the camera shut down in the middle of a shot while the, you know, it rained on a day, that wasn't as hard as making the decision to get it done. And the reason I'm stressing that is because in that decision, I still didn't have shit. I didn't have a crew, I didn't have a cast, I didn't have any other money than what I had in my pocket, but that was enough. And mind you, so many people said no. So many people said, fuck, no, you, you're crazy. How long are you trying to shoot? For how much money? Yeah, nah, bro. You can mess with that. <laughs> but then one person said, yeah. And, then, and matter of fact, he didn't even say, yeah, I had to twist his arm. <laughs> you know, Stephen Love. I remember he was like, yeah, yeah, well, uh, I don't, you know, I can help as much as possible. And then at the end of that meeting, he's like, oh, fuck, I'm making this movie. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, that's I think awesome. it's that. But, you know, yes, rain and lighting and, I don't know, fucking, what else happens on set? Someone, <laughs> someone was late. You know, they, those problems seem very small in, in comparison. I love your energy and your attitude and I'm always the positive one on the show. And now mm -hmm. I want to like learn how to be as positive as you because oh, it's geez. like, it's amazing. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, so yeah, last question is what should people do? Like, where should they find you? Where should they watch atypical Wednesdays? Like, what do you want people to do after listening to this podcast? Uh, go watch the movie. It's, it's, it's on video on demand. Uh, I think pretty much everywhere, iTunes, app, uh, Amazon, uh, Google play, Voodoo, Fandango Now. I think you can just get it on your TV. If you have a smart TV, you can just go rent it or buy it. Um, if you dig it, whatever platform you watch it on, just leave a, a cool comment, you know, or review it. Um, you know, if you don't like it, just, you know, Be quiet. don't say shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, just watch it. And then, and, you know, to hopefully take something from it. But, um, yeah, I think it's out everywhere right now. And like I said, just, you know, drop a line, say, hey, you know, I dug it or whatever. And you can find me on all my social medias, uh, J Lee film, J L E E F I L M. And I try to, you know, respond to everybody who, you know, reaches out to me or whatnot, but yeah, watch it, dig it, hopefully take something from it. And then if there are any filmmakers or writers or artists out there, go do that shit, go make it, go create it, go figure it out, whatever that is, do it. Thank you for coming on, on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, for sure. No, Thanks for listening and thanks to Jay Lee for being on the show and everyone should go out and watch Atypical Wednesday available on VOD right now. Uh, check out our, our website, makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to things we talked about on this episode. If you want to get in contact with us, if you've mentioned several times, you could send us an email to podcast and makingmoviesishard.com. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at MMIH Podcast. I got an Instagram that I could pimp out on the show and it's I'm at Liz Manishal Film on Instagram and at Liz Manishal on Twitter. Ulrich, where are you? I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Ulrich B. And you can also find me on Facebook just to, with my name, Ulrich Purcell. And I'm probably the most responsive on Facebook, but I try to be better on everything, but you know, reach out there too. If you like the show, tell a friend, help us get the word out, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And finally, last but not least, thanks to our producers, Greg Holtzman, Joshua Sterling Bragg, editor Allison Stoney, the whole Bloodstream Media team for making this episode possible. And we will talk to y'all next week. Um, we didn't forget anything, did we? I don't think so. Yeah, oh, we just didn't, we didn't ramble as much as we normally do. <laughs> it which feels I think like very light. I love it.